0: Welcome to the Griffith in Asia podcast. Welcome to today's Griffith Security Studies Network presentation. We'll be discussing uh, environmental security with Associate Professor Matt McDonnell from PULSUS at UQ. Matt's a reader over there in IR theory and critical security studies. Uh, He's done his undergrad, master's and PhD through UQ. He's previously lectured with the University of New South Wales, University of Birmingham and the University of Warwick and he's also been a visiting fellow with ANU. So, good morning, Matt. Welcome. Morning, Brian. Okay, so Matt, could you just explain firstly how you got to critical security studies and what in climate change and ecological security has really interested you and has brought you to today?
1: I got into... uh, I actually did, years ago, a master's dissertation around... Resource use and its relationship to security. So I looked at things like the way at the Indonesian forest fires and how they and the regional implications (coughs) of the Indonesian forest fires. And I looked at at debates over sort of I think uh, manipulation of water resources across transboundary states, which was kind of uh, it was that piqued my interest, I guess. And as part of going into the of getting into the background literature around that, I I ended up becoming quite uh, enamoured with, I guess, different theoretical approaches to security and the importance of those more foundational questions about what security means and how different ideas about security and threat come to prominence. Um, That's probably... My way in was initially around, you know, an interest in... Resource use and manipulation, and its relationship to security. But then, over time, I'm probably more a kind of security theorist who writes about environmental change as one of the as one of the core dimensions. And of course, climate change is the defining well, I'd argue the defining global security threat. But you know, also clearly a uh, a threat that challenges the way we think about security more fundamentally.
0: Your paper today is going to be on uh, environmental security. We're looking at climate change and e- ecological security, the changing discourse and conceptions of the nature of threat. How would you sort of introduce that?
1: In my work today, I've done some work on the process through which meaning is given to security by different political communities and basically how it is that different states, some state groups, even international organisations come to understand security in different ways. and. Central to that, I think, is, uh, is the role of, um, or are the role, of discourses of security. that different organisations give, you know, have different conceptions of um, what our values are that are in need of being protected or advanced, what threats to those values are and, and uh, essentially, you know, how we should respond to them. And those really range across different... Um, you know, discourses of security. So you'd get a kind of realist national security orientation for some and others would orient more towards an international security discourse or a human security discourse. So in some of my other work, I've spent time charting, I guess, how it is that particular political communities come to understand security. And, you know, what's immediately clear is that if we're interested in substantive responses to contemporary political issues that are, to which the security label is often applied, then what matters more is not the invocation of threat, but actually the contours of the different discourses and whether they are oriented towards long-term solutions to some of those problems. So here I'm kind of thinking this is a step past some of the work I've done in the past that's looked at discourses of um, security associated with, say, human security and cosmopolitanism to actually question what what it would look like to have an ecological um, security discourse. So a discourse that was essentially oriented towards ecosystem resilience as its focus. What would that mean in terms of the core contours? Would this discourse be more likely to um, underpin progressive, substantive responses to problems like global climate change, the example I'm looking at uh, today? So that's really what the, uh, the project's about. It's about trying to, to make a case for an ecological security discourse as one that um, is most morally defensible in the context of climate change but also likely to underpin progressive responses to climate change
0: itself. Just to tie in a couple of the points that you've said, Matt, you've mentioned that ecological security may be the, the most morally um, defensible way to, to start to address these issues... I just wonder if we tied that in with the economic considerations that many of our politicians would talk about. Do you see those as being mutually exclusive or is there a way that we can start to tie these together, the moral and the economic cases?
1: Yeah, look, I think as an imperative, the, the rapid decarbonisation of economies is absolutely necessary. That is entirely, potentially entirely consistent with continued development but it would be a radically different conception of development than the one we currently have because we we do have fossil fuel driven economies. There's nothing I would say inevitable about that being being the case and of course you know the holy grail is really how do you manage that kind of you know individual's understandable desire for development, for providing for their families, for wealth accumulation and it becomes especially difficult when you're dealing with aspirational Populations in places like India and China who rightly claim that they should be in a position to be able to develop like the West did, even though we now know how environmentally deleterious that was. So, you know, at one level, we are now all in this together. We know how serious the problem is, and so there, there is an onus on everyone, I think, to embrace notions of... Um, yeah, to embrace the rapid decarbonisation of economies. But at the same time, we have to recognise differentiated responsibilities for that, and I think you know the international community does, to a certain degree, in terms of common but differentiated responsibilities, and in terms of making sure that there is this component around paying developing states for transitions to uh, lower lower greenhouse gas emissions. So that that's um, there are developments, I think that that are about recognising that possibility of alignment. But one of the broader challenges, I think, for this project is that, you know, there's really no constituency for this kind of view among those with any form of political or economic power, uh, essentially. So this is, I mean, in a sense, as as a practical project that's ready to hit the hit the ground, there's massive political obstacles facing the embrace of this type of discourse. So in a way, it's a kind of aspirational goal that would suggest that movements towards recognising, you know, things like obligations to future generations or even some degree of obligations to other living beings would be progressive.
0: Excellent. Um, and I think, as a whole, the environmental field is faced plenty of obstructions before from the political side of the debate, so uh, maybe not something new, but hopefully something we get over soon. Um, Leads us nicely into the next question, Matt. The budget papers that's recently been released by the Abbott government, the spending to Clean Energy Finance Corp and Climate Change Authority uh, will be halted in fiscal years 2016-17, to Um, so basically no new funding. Uh, In relation to the climate security discourse, how would you rate the current government? Uh, and how would you like to see the other government approach the issues of the future? Oh, there's no... I don't
1: think it's particularly controversial to, to make the case that this government has been poor on questions of climate change in terms of its perspective and, and in terms of its, you know, willingness to, I guess, politicise action on climate change that in other jurisdictions hasn't necessarily been viewed in as a party political issue. I mean... The, the UK, and you see the Conservatives there sort of pushing for action on climate change. Similarly with things like aid, for example. So, you know, the UK, under a Conservative government, reached the 0.7% of GDP target. So it does suggest, actually, that the, this government, I guess in terms of its ethical commitments, in terms of the sense of obligations to outsiders, there's a, there's a sense that it's fairly limited in those on that front, and it's concerning, and certainly for something like aid, it's particularly concerning that that, um, this is broadly supported by the the scale of cutbacks, broadly supported by the Australian population. Climate change is more interesting in terms of public opinion because over the last 10 years, there's been an inverse relationship between how committed um, political leaders say they are to action on climate change and how concerned the public is. So at points where you have Rudd running with Climate change is a massive issue, the greatest challenge that uh, you know we'll face. You see this dropping away of support for action on climate change, whereas now there seems to be a growth in um, growth in concern about climate change. and It will take, I think, something like you know broader popular momentum, certainly internet, stronger international cooperation on climate change would. Would help in uh, Paris in the latter part of the year. Those would be things that would potentially force the government's hand. But it's sad to say there's not much that's particularly surprising about the government's stance on climate change, given some of Tony Abbott's stated views on, on climate science in the past and, and some of the appointments that they've, that they've made. There's nothing
0: um, particularly surprising, albeit still fairly disappointing. <laughs> no doubt about that. Um, And just finally, Matt, before we wrap up for the day, I just wonder, in in context of that international community and and drumming up the level of awareness that we need across the globe, really, now, do you see the leadership coming from your Americas, possibly from China in the future? Uh, I know there's a lot of talk that most of the change being driven in the US is actually coming from the state level. So do you see that the US will change their tact, or do you think it's going to be sort of business as usual for some time yet?
1: Yeah, the, um, the US and China obviously came out with that joint statement indicating some degree of commitment to, to action on climate change, and that suggests that there's recognition around the possibility of them playing a greater role than they did in Copenhagen. Certainly, I think they're desperate to avoid that situation, of weather, which they had when in Copenhagen, of being accused of driving the failure of those particular talk so they'll be desperate to avoid that both the US and China they are clearly the most important actors in terms of the upcoming negotiations and it really will be a case of watch this space I think um, you know it would be acutely difficult for a um, to imagine a, a, an American president running very hard on this issue after after Obama but it's crystal ball gazing, I guess. Where it's not, uh, it's not altogether clear exactly how he's going to play it, or what the relationship between that the president's role and the um, and the broader legislative legislature is going
0: to look like. Okay, Matt. Well, thank you for your time today, and uh, we look forward to seeing the project when it's finished. Sure, no worries. Information about Griffith University's research, engagement, and activity in the Asia Pacific region, visit griffith.edu.au Asia.